morning. Please turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 45, and I'd like to just kind of review the story up to this point because it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's the story of Joseph, and so the story starts with Jacob. Jacob's the dad. Uh, he uh, wants, uh, he, he has fi- found himself, and I'm not going to kind of go into a lot of the detail, with four wives, uh, and, and one of them he loves, and one of them he hates, and the other two, you know, are just kind of came along. So he's got four wives, and one he loves, one he, one he doesn't really like, loves quite so much. And at the end of uh, a period of time, he ends up with 12 sons. He's got 12 sons. One of them is named Joseph. Now, because of the, the wife that he loves, Rebecca has given, has given birth to two sons, Joseph and Benjamin, he favors those boys. Like he really just, if, in fact, he gave Joseph this coat of many colors, which was a symbol of like leadership, even though he's really young. He's like really favoring him. And so all the other brothers hated Joseph. They hated him. And, uh, and so they hated this favoritism. They hated the, the whole idea. And so they find themselves one day out taking care of the sheep, way out in the middle of nowhere. And dad, Jacob, sends Joseph to go check on them, go check on them, make sure they're doing their job. And so he goes out. And he finds them. And they see him coming. They call him the dreamer because he had had this dream of all of his brothers bowing down to him. Even dad was bowing down to him. And so because of the dreams and because of the favoritism and just because he's Joseph, they just hated him. And so they put in their mind when they saw him coming, we'll just kill him. If we just kill him, then he'll be out of the way. We won't have to deal with all this stuff with dad. He'll, maybe, he'll love us instead and all that kind of stuff. And so, they, so he, as he got closer, they, they captured him, they threw him in a pit. Uh, and you could just imagine the things that they would have said to him while he was in the pit. He's screaming back to them, please don't do this. You know, this is, you know, don't, you know, you know, don't treat me this way, this is wrong, and all these different things. They see uh, some slave traders coming uh, in the distance. And they say, you know what, instead of just killing him, why don't we just sell him? That way we could at least have some money and, you know, call it a day. We've gotten rid of Joseph and we've got money too. So they decide to sell him. He goes off into, he's, he's, he's traded as a slave. He goes off into Egypt. They uh, take his coat of many colors off of him. They put animal blood on it. And they go and they tell dad that a wild animal got him. And his dad goes into mourning. Like Jacob just begins to mourn and mourn and mourn. And so uh, and for years this went on. And so now we, a famine hits the land. 20 years later, time goes by. 20 years later happens. Uh, famine hits the land, which drives the family to Egypt. That's the only place to be able to get food. So the brothers find themselves going to Egypt, and they, dis- and they, and they come before this Egyptian man. And this Egyptian man uh, asks them questions, and they dialogue, dialogue back and forth, and they, and they say, we're here to buy grain. He says, no, you're a spy. And so you have this conversation, and, and they say, no, no. And he says, well, tell me about your family. And they say, well, dad's back home. We've got a younger brother back home. And he goes, okay, so in order for you to prove that you're not a spy, I'm going to keep one of your brothers, Simeon, in prison. The rest of you can go back home, take the supplies home, uh, and then, but when you come back, because you're eventually going to run out of food because it's the early part of the famine, I want you to bring back the younger brother, Benjamin. So they go back home. Eventually, they run out of food. They tell Dad, Jacob, Dad, we got to take Benjamin back. We got, he, they're not going to sell us any grain. In fact, he'll probably kill us if we just show up because he'll say we're a, lie, a liar. He thinks we're already a spy. And so they go and they get Benjamin. Eventually, Jacob allows Benjamin to go back with them. They go back. 
in the meantime, they've discovered that the money that they had purchased the grain with was now back in their sacks, and they're freaking out about that. So they take that money back, they take Benjamin back, and then when they get to Egypt, they stand back in front of this Egyptian man, but this time he throws them a party, right? And so they have this great banquet, and, the, and they get all this fancy food, and, and Benjamin is given five times as much as the other brothers. And so you have all this stuff going on, and then... Um, and then they're released back. So they're released back to go back home with all the grain and all the things. And they discover that now there's Joseph or the Egyptian man's silver cup. The cup that he drank from at dinner is in there, is in Benjamin's bag. And they have to go back. They have all the money that they took with them still in the bags. And this time there's the silver cup. And they realize that they've got to appear before this Egyptian man once again. But in the meantime, what we've seen in the in this series so far is that these brothers have gone from being liars, murderers, wicked men to realizing that they are guilty because they cried out, we are guilty. Like they're all standing in each other. They're talking with each other like, we are guilty because of what we did to Joseph. We've repented. They repented of their sin. We kind of went through that in depth, right? And so now they've come to have a relationship with God. They, they, they are putting their faith in Him. They're beginning to see that God is moving. And that takes us to today's story. To this part of the passage in Genesis chapter 45 is where a lot of things happen. And I'm really looking forward to sharing with you what God does in this passage. So first off, let's look at it. And, but let's pray. Why don't we, let's pray before we jump into it. Lord... We thank you so much for your grace and mercy, Lord. We see you working in these men's lives to draw them to you. You, you, you initiated this famine and you created these series of events and these tests and all these things. Lord, we know these things are coming from you. You, are, you have drawn these men to you. And Lord, you do the same thing for us. You are a God of grace and mercy. You put circumstances in front of us. You work before us to draw us close to you. And there are many of us in this room that have given our heart and our lives to you. We are followers of you, but sometimes our faith wavers and sometimes we just, we just don't believe like we should. And Lord, also there may be some people in this room who've never put their faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray that today will be the day when they do that. I pray that you will show us in your word how much you love us, how much compassion you have for us. And that you draw us to you. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at Genesis chapter 45. We're going to start in verse 8. And the big idea is there is a good plan before you. There is a good plan before you. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone get, go out from me. And so that no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. And so Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me there. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors." 
So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, the lord of all of his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now let's go back to his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. This whole drama started with needing to go to Egypt for food, right? God had created this famine, and now they are driven. They've been driven there because of the famine. And they all sat around. If you remember back earlier, they would all sit around, and whenever Joseph's name would come up, or whenever the famine would come up, or the fact that we're running out of food, they would all sit there and they would look at each other, right? Their eyes would go back and forth. They would look at each other. And it says, and they even came to a series of events where they, where they said, we are guilty in Genesis 42, 21. They had repented of their sin against Joseph, and they even said, for how can I go back? This is Judah talking. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? He originally was part of the group that went back to dad after Joseph was gone. He's like, and he saw all the pain and all the suffering and the mourning and all the things that that dad went through. How can we go back and do that. I fear to see the evil that would find my father. But now, everything, all of it is brought to the surface. The lies, the deception, the selling of him into slavery, all of that. Joseph, they've realized, has all the power. He is all powerful over them. He could do whatever it is he wants to do to them. And all of that has been exposed. See how they're terrified? Do you see how evil and wicked they were toward their brother? And now Joseph is standing before them and he goes, Aha, guys, I'm Joseph. Oh, no, right? All of that sudden rush of like, these, uh, he can destroy us. He can strike us down at a moment's notice. I mean, right then, right then and there, all he has to do is give the head nod or, the mo- or a motion of the hand. This is the same realization of a person who's come to a true understanding that he has offended an all-powerful, holy God, right? So the brothers are standing there before their brother. The brothers are standing there before Joseph. They've realized, I have sinned, right? I sold this man into slavery. He, is, he has every right to execute me because of the injustice that I have done against him. He has every right, and he has every power. He has every capability to do it. The same is true for us as sinners who stand before a holy God. We have, in, we have rebelled against him. We have not pursued him or his will. He is a holy and just God who has every right to completely wipe us off the face of the earth. Because he is a holy and just God. It would be proper for him to do that. I believe that as we look at the story of Joseph, we say, Joseph, uh, there's probably part of this like, oh yeah, now it's time for vengeance. Now it's time for justice. Now it's time for Joseph to finally get what's right, right? It's finally, these brothers, these evil, wicked brothers, it's finally time for them to have justice against them. There's a great old preacher named Jonathan Edwards, and he once said as part of his sermon, he says, Thus, all you that never passed under a great change of heart, by the mighty power of the Spirit of God upon your souls, all you that were never born again and made new creatures and raised from the dead in sin to a new state and before all together unexperienced light and life are in the hands of an angry God. That's one of his Jonathan Edwards' famous quotes, right? You're in the hands of an angry God. God has every right to execute 
uh, justice and vengeance against us as sinners because we have done nothing but rebel against him. And he has every right to do that. Joseph has every right to just, just, just strike down his brothers right there and finally get justice. But does he do that? Right? Does, he, does he say, now is the day, now is my time, aha, you know, and just go after him? Does the hammer fall? Does Joseph have his revenge? No. It's grace. Grace abounds here. Right? During the, 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 the building of the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, they, they, the work came to a, a, almost a stop. It, just, it was slowing down. It slowed down, and they couldn't figure out why, why is it slowing down. And what's happening is several of the workers had fallen from the bridge. And they had fallen. And so uh, the workers were taking extra precaution. I mean, I can only imagine how I would be upon this huge thing trying to put a bolt in a thing. It would, it would just so progress slowed down. And so one of the engineers suggested, why don't we do this? And at great expense, we'll put a net underneath the workers. And so at the beginning, the progress was about the same. But then one of the workers fell and fell into the net. And then another one accidentally fell into the net. And then suddenly the workers realized, if I fall, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be caught. It'll be okay. And though then the work began to pick up, and it actually caught up to where it should have been. So, and so that is what grace is and mercy is for us, is that when we, we hold on in fear and trembling, because if we truly understand who we are before God, we would say, God, I am a wicked, depraved, evil person, and that fear would cripple us before him. But in his grace and his mercy, he comes before us and he goes, no, we're not going to do that. I'm going to forgive you of your sin. I'm going to show you compassion and mercy. And if I can depend upon a God who has a God of compassion and mercy, I could cry out to him. And I will fall into that net of his grace. And I could keep going. I can move forward. So this morning, I don't know where you are with the Lord, but you need to realize, first off, that if you are a sinner, that is where we are before him. Apart from Christ is that we deserve that wrath of God to come down upon us because of our wickedness and depravity. We have rebelled against him. But in his grace and mercy, he offers us forgiveness. And that should drive us to pursue him, drive us to serve him. Look at verse 5. Why did he do this? For God sent me before you to preserve life. Look at verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. Look at verse 8. So that it was not you who sent me, but God. Joseph's words pull back the veil of the story. We can look behind the scenes of the play and we can kind of see what's going on. What's really going on with all of this drama? It was not the brothers who sent Joseph to Egypt. Rather, it was God. God had a purpose for all of it. God has a purpose and plan for you. If you will give him your life, you will give him and follow him with all that you are, he has a purpose and plan for you, just like he does these brothers. God took these men through a lengthy, gut-wrenching journey, right? We've, we spent several weeks going through that journey. He's taking these men through all of these things so that they would repent of their sin and turn to God. And it is through these brothers, these sons of Israel. You're going to see that through the rest of the Bible, right? The sons of Israel that the whole world would be turned upside down with the gospel. These wicked, depraved, evil men, hearts are going to be changed. And God's going to use them to turn the world upside down 
millions of people would be saved. Uh, countless millions of people will be saved because of what God does in these men's lives. Verse 5, he says, Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Can you imagine the weight? One of the first things we looked at in this series is God has not designed you to carry the weight of sin and shame. You were not made that way. In the beginning, he created Adam to live and be a certain way, and then life changed. And so every generation since then carries that weight of sin and shame. We were not designed to carry that. And so Christ, in his grace, gives us the ability to be free of it. And he says here, do not be distressed don't focus on the past or how you once were lost. Now is the time to focus on preserving other people's lives. Yeah, you sold me into slavery, but God has worked in your life to where now you have repented of your sin, and we're not going to focus on that, other, that old stuff. We're going to move forward because it's all about preservation of life going forward. Going forward, there are... They are the beginning of a long story of redemption, these 11 brothers. Moses is coming. Joseph, Joshua is coming. The tabernacle is coming. The Ark of the Covenant is on its way. Samuel, King David, uh, Esther, Ruth, Nehemiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the prophets, all these men and women are coming. Uh, and the story of redemption is beginning. It's coming. We've got the entire Bible is about to be laid out in front of these men. And there will be a voice of one crying in the wilderness saying, repent and turn. And then the Messiah will appear and he will preach and live a sinless, perfect life. And eventually he will give his life for mankind on a Roman cross and he will die, be raised again. And it will one day come and call us to himself. But in the meantime, there's still the story being laid out. We know that the disciples came. We know that Paul spread out across the world and, spread, and shared the gospel. And we know that there, and the gospel is continuing to move today. And the story still continues. The story that begins in these brothers now continues throughout our generation. And it will continue until Christ comes back. You get to be a part of that story. Because there is a person out there that still needs to hear the gospel, that still needs to hear the story of redemption. I want you to ask yourself, why am I here? Why are you here? There's only two answers to that question. The first is because you need to hear the story of redemption. You need to get saved. You need to give the Lord your heart and your soul, and you need to get right with the Lord. That's the first one. The second one is, you're still here because someone else needs to hear the story. Someone else in your circle of influence, uh, your uh, girl at the grocery store, your neighbor, uh, the mechanic, whatever it is, your circle of influence needs to hear the gospel. That's why you're still here. So if you've already received Christ, then your then you're number two, why are you here, is to share the story of redemption with someone else that begins with these brothers, goes down from generation to generation to generation. Someone told you about Jesus, now you get to tell somebody else about Jesus. The story continues on. Isn't that wonderful? That's so exciting, right? To, that one day Christ will come. He will gather us with a, with a shout. We'll meet with him in the air. And our eternity will begin. But until then, we're still here. Why are we still here? And so that we can share the gospel. We can be a part of the story of redemption. We play a role. We are here. There's also 
a renewed picture of a promised land. Look at verse 9. This is Joseph talking to the brothers. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. And there I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father all of my honor in Egypt and all of that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brothers, Benjamin's neck, and he wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck, and, they kissed all, and he kissed all of his brothers, and he wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked to him. And when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your best beast and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and their household and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat of the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt from your little ones and your wives and bring your father and, your, and come. Have no concern for goods. Don't just leave it all. This is, the, this is one of the wonderful things, right? Have no concern for your goods, for the best of the land is in Egypt is yours. Just leave it all behind. Leave the, leave the clothes in the closet. Leave the shoes on the rack. Just get on the wagon and come. And when you arrive, the best will be there for you. Don't worry about the old. Everything's new. The book of Genesis begins with everything being good, right? In Genesis 131, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. As he looked across his creation, it was good. Everything he made, uh, is, it, but then something happens, right? So Genesis is the beginnings. And so in the beginning, you have everything is good, and then sin comes into play. In Genesis chapter 3, you have uh, Adam and Eve take of the forbidden fruit, and sin comes into the world, and, 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 and everything is, gets, gets messed up. We have the first murder. We have the first lie. We have, we have all this sin comes into the world. And by the time we end Genesis, as we approach the end of it, that wrong, we begin to get a picture of it being made right. We begin to see that God has a plan to make things right again. And where the destruction and the famine, now God's people would live in Goshen, which is a special place where they would be safe, where they would be provided for, where they would not have anything that was old, it would be new. And the picture of Joseph is a picture of restoration. It was, a, it was a restoration of a blessing that was promised for, through the offspring of Jacob. Jacob made, God made Jacob the promise that through your offspring would come restoration. So after the fall of Adam and Eve, we see a promise. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He says, I will put imminent, this is uh, Satan, the, the serpent, the, the, the being that tempted Adam and Eve. There's going to be this conflict. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. There's going to be offspring that do not have faith, that do not follow God and pursue the world. And there will be offspring who will put their faith in the one true God and follow him. That's the two offsprings that are mentioned. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This 
promised one that's to come is going to be of the people of faith. And he will strike, or the, the evil one, the serpent, his offspring will strike him his heel, which means he will be hurt. But the one, the Messiah, the promised one, Christ will strike and he will have the, fa- the final blow against the evil one's head. And so you have this battle that's described to us, but ultimately the promised one will win. Everything will be restored. Verse 10, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen. There's a land that's set aside for Joseph's family. We see this again in Genesis 47, 11. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers, and he gave them a possession in the land, the best of the land, the land of the Ramses, uh, which is one of the pharaohs, as Pharaoh had commanded. It's the best of the best. And it's in that land that promised, that, it's not the promised land, but it is a land that's set aside as they go through this famine and they go to Egypt, that they go from being a family of 11 and their sons and daughters and that, that initial family to a nation. It's in this land of Goshen that God blesses them so much that by the time we get to Exodus, uh, that Pharaoh has forgotten Joseph, and, but God's people are so massive in number that they're concerned they're going to take over and they're going to have riots and things, and so they enslave them and they make, them make bricks, and that's where we pick up in Exodus. God blesses the people in Goshen so much that they go from being a few to a nation. God blesses Jacob's offspring again and again and again. It's the beginnings. It's a picture of, of the Garden of Eden here. Uh, we, we see it again in, uh, in Exodus where it says, Only in the land of Goshen, uh, where the people of Israel were, were was no hail. So you have, you have the uh, plagues of Egypt, right? So you have all the plagues. Well, guess where you could go to be safe and not have to experience darkness or, or hail or your animals die or all of that? Guess where they would go? Guess where they lived? Guess where God's people were? In Goshen. And that is the land of protection. That's where God's presence is. Uh, the world around them was decaying and, and falling all apart. But in God's land, it was good. It was safe. It was protected. And so there's this return back to the beginnings. And so the next thing that we see, and if you don't get anything that I've said today, I need you to listen to this. This is important, right? So we have the third idea is the numb heart and the revived heart. Look at verse 21. The sons of Israel did so. So they went back. And and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, But in Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver, five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. This is just to get them there and back, right? They're not going to stay. They're just going to go pick up dad and come back, and they just went all out. Do not, he says, then he sent his brothers away. As they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. And so they went up out of Egypt, and he came to the land of Canaan to their father, Jacob. I want you to highlight Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. He is the ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. Have you ever had a time like that in your life? Right? This is just too good to be true. This news cannot possibly be true, and so I don't believe it. It says his heart became numb. He can't go there emotionally again. He cannot open up his heart to the idea 
of Joseph. I think there's some parts of our lives that sometimes we tend to close up, right? It gets numb. It's scarred. We've fought that battle. We've managed to crawl out of the swimming pool with the alligator, right? We managed to get out of it. And, and I am not going to allow myself or my heart to go back to that place emotionally. This is where Joseph is. I mean, this is where Jacob is, right? They bring up Joseph's name. He's alive. Joseph's alive. He's like, uh-uh. I'm not, I, you need to stop that foolishness right now. I cannot go there. And they told him, Joseph's still alive. He's the ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe him. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Look at verse 25. Then he said, so when they went up out of Egypt and he came to the land of Canaan to their father, Jacob. Jacob, we're going to do a little bit of history on Jacob. Jacob's name means deceiver, trickster. And Israel is his covenant name. And what's that mean? Well, there was a night earlier on in Jacob's life where he was in the middle of the desert, all in the wilderness. He's all by himself. And God comes, and they wrestle, and they wrestle throughout the night. And when dawn was about to come, you have this conversation we're going to talk about in just a second. But you have this, the, the, this idea of Jacob means deceiver, uh, grabber of the heel, trickster. Whenever we see Jacob turning back to a lack of faith, which we're going to set, call a numb heart, back to his old ways, he's called Jacob. Every time you see this throughout, just you can do a Bible study. Go back and look. Every time we see the name Jacob is when he is the trickster deceiver person. Right? He's, he's, not, he's not following God 100%. He is off track when he's called Jacob. And then we see there's this transition in verse, around verse 28, the spirit of, the, of, the, of their father, Jacob, revived. Verse 28, and Israel said, boom, there's this transition that happens within just a few words, right? Uh, Jacob's heart was revived, and then instantly, he's not called Jacob here, he's called Israel. Israel said, by Genesis chapter 47, Jacob is 137 years old. Jacob has spent his entire adult life since wrestling with God in the wilderness, being a man of faith and then being a man of doubt. Being a man of faith and then being a man of doubt. Up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. His entire life. He's following God, he's not following God. He's following God, he's not following God. And you may say, yeah, but Drew, Jacob had a hard life. You've got to understand you know, he, he didn't, I mean, you got to understand where Jacob's coming from. He was favored by his brother Esau, right? His father favored Esau over him. Uh, his uncle Laban treated him harshly. When he finally got away from dad, he went off and was with his uncle. And, his, and then it says this in Genesis 31, 40. This is him working for him. By day the heat consumed me, by the cold at night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. So for 20 years he's working for his uncle Laban who's just treated him like trash. 
And so he, he deceived him. He had a dislocated hip. His beloved wife died giving birth to Benjamin, and his son Joseph was killed by wild animals. At least that's what he was told. Like that's, that's his life. And you would say, well, look at all these things that have happened to him. Obviously, he's going to struggle. And so I would say, okay, fine. But let's look at his son Joseph. Joseph was hated and despised by his brothers. Joseph was thrown in a pit. Joseph was sold as a slave. Joseph did the best he could under Potiphar. I mean, his house just exploded with blessings. And so his wife lied about him. And then he ends up being thrown into prison. And where he, by the way, is forgotten for years. He's betrayed there. He says, remember me when you get out. And the guy doesn't remember. And so finally, he, so you can't, you can't say, well, you just got to have to understand what happened to Jacob. I would compare you to Joseph's life was just as hard or harder. And yet every time we see Joseph, he is always pointing to God. He's always saying, God, 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 God. He never steps or wavers in his following with the Lord. And so in one example, you have one that's up and down, up and down, up and down, and one that's steady. Steady, steady. No matter what happens, he's steady. Throughout the first five books of the Bible, which we call the Pentateuch, at key sections, at major mile markers in the story of God's people, there's an emphasis on whether they respond in faith or they lack faith. Right? So you go up to the promised land. That's a, that's a mile marker. Right? So we're about to enter into the, oh, there's giants. Oh, we're going we're gonna to all die. It's good. We can't do that. Oh, and they cry out through the night. That's a mile marker. That's a marker where God says, I will be with you. We're going to go in. We're going to take over the promised land. This is the land I promised you. And they say, no, we're not going to do that. We rebel against it. And, they, and, and you, you could go back through and see, this is a time where God's people shown faith. This is a time where they did not. I believe that those mile markers come in our lives as well. There are times when God puts things out before us and he goes, this is what I want you to do. Here is what your immediate calling is right now. This is what you're supposed to be doing right now. And we can either go, we can either show faith and say yes, or we can say no, I'm not going to do that. It's a revived heart or a numb heart. Jacob, his entire life, has wanted the blessing of God. He's wanted God's favor. His entire life. His brother... As his brother, remember he's a twin, right? Jacob and Esau. As his brother Esau is being born, what does he do? Anybody remember? He reaches out and grabs the heel of his brother. Now, would that, if you were a doctor, wouldn't that freak you out? That'd freak me out. Right? Little brother, a uh, younger brother, reaches, reaches out and grabs the heel of his brother as if to pull him back in. Why would he pull him back in? Because he wants the blessing. Right? Why would he do that? Right? Then, he, you know, so he does that. And so then he, he's tricked his, uh, his brother, right? So he's coming back. Uh, he, he, uh, he, the, the dad sends Esau off to make him some stew. Uh, his mom, who favors him, they come up with this scheme, this trick to put on fur on his body. And they go into dad, who's blind at this point, and they trick him, right? And he gets the blessing. He tricks him. And then he goes to Laban. Who, who tricks him, but, but, he's, but he's trying to do that. And then in the wilderness, we see Jacob wrestling with God, and he demands a blessing. Bless me. Bless me. Right? So he's tried to get it uh, by just 
tricking people, by trying to pull his brother back in, by force. He's tried to do it by tricking them. He, all his whole life, he's like, God, just favor me. Just like me. I just want your blessing. I just want you. I just want, and he's just, just crawling after this thing that he just can't seem to get. Have you ever had that in your life? Right? You know there's this emptiness within you. You know that there's this peace missing. And so you try to just reach out and you're either going to do it by force. I will get this. Or you're going to try to trick people and deceive people. Or you're just like, you just wrestle, wrestle. I'm like, I want this. this I want this thing. I don't know. This blessing, this favor of God. To feel this emptiness. Jacob's entire life, he's pursued this. I believe that we do the same thing call it different things but it's this idea of I am broken on the inside and I know that the God can can fix it but I don't know how to do it and so I'm going to trick it I'm going to grab it I'm going to do it in my own strength I'm going to wrestle with it I'm going to I'm going to do it on my own I will do this I will fix this problem and so we go through all of our lives trying to fix it trying to make it right trying to build it up and it just keeps getting trashed keeps getting knocked down keeps getting broken we keep feeling empty we try this it doesn't work we try this it doesn't work that's Jacob's life his entire life he's 137 years old that's all he's done his entire life Now go back to Genesis 32 where Jacob wrestles with God. They have wrestled through the night. The man, which is described to us, which we know is God, but he's described to us as the man. He says, then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Right? I want the blessing. I want the blessing. And he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. What's Jacob mean? He has to confess, trickster, deceiver, grab healer, or healer, heel grabber. That's what it means, literally. He had to confess it. Then he said to him, what is your name? Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob. You're not going to be heel grabber anymore. You're not going to be deceiver or trickster anymore. Now, but, Je but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed the man Jacob is wrestling says what is your name and he has to say trickster God is saying you have tried to receive God's blessing your way you have been fighting and wrestling your entire life to have it your way so what does Israel mean Israel means God fights after a long night of wrestling with God, and there he blessed him. Here's the thing. Once Jacob quits fighting, trying to do it his way, God fought for him. And he finally is blessed. How do I get this blessing from God? How do I fix this broken peace that's within me? Stop fighting God and let him fight for you that's what it means to be saved you stop trying to live this life in your own effort in your own wisdom in your own and the things that seem right to you and you say God I'm done I'm exhausted I'm tired I'm, I'm, I'm done trying to be a good person 
Because if you try to be a good person, it's exhausting. If you think that you going to heaven and having eternal life is based on you being a good person, you're not going to make it. You're going to fail. None of us are good. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every stinking one of us. You cannot be good enough. And the harder you fight, the harder you try, you keep going after it, you're going to keep failing, you're going to keep stumbling, you're going to keep, but you keep fighting, you keep wrestling, you keep going, you keep going. Well, Jacob's been gone for 137 years like this, right? I don't think there's anyone 137 in here yet. Close, but not quite. So you have to quit. You have to stop fighting and let God fight for you. We say, well, how has God fought for me? We just go to the cross. We just go to the cross. Jesus Christ died on the cross. That was the ultimate battle he fought on your behalf. You cannot, you could not have done that even if you wanted to. He had to be a sinless person. It had to be, it had to be Jesus. It had to be him who carried the weight. And he died on that cross. And when he did, all the sin of the world was upon him. And he died in your place. He fought the battle. He fought for you. So quit fighting and let him fight for you. If you do that, there's a couple of things that are going to happen. I'm going to give you two real quick before we wrap up. Number one, God will let us know his will. We will know him personally, and our sin will be remembered no more. Remember when he, jo- Jacob's telling the, or Joseph's telling the brothers, don't focus on the fact that you sold me as a slave. We're going to focus on redemption and moving forward. Look at, look at a couple of verses. Jeremiah 31 verse 33 for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel again this is later on the timeline the house of Israel those are people that put their faith in the one true God that's the house of Israel this covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord I will put my law within them I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me. We, get, we, we will know the Lord. If we give him our heart, if, he, if we let him save us, if we let him fight the battle for us, we know him. And because we know him, we have his word being revealed to us. We have his word revealed to us. We know his will. We know his will for this life and for us. And they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. It's gone. It's forgotten. Secondly, our numb, stony, hard heart is changed. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you that I will put within you. And I will restore the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, a changed heart. When you look at your heart, you know you've been fighting this whole thing without giving God, you haven't repented, or now you're at a point where like, I've been fighting this battle my whole life, and you look at your heart, and it's stony, and it's hard, and it's crusty, and it's calloused. If you give him your life, he will, he will give you a new heart, a heart of flesh. He will soften your heart, a changed heart. Psalm 51, created me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Look at Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together. Look, let's gather up, let's talk. Says the Lord, though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like clemson, he shall, they shall become like wool. 
Where are you with the Lord right now? You're either in two places. We talked about that, right? Number one is you've never given him your heart and your life. You're still trying to fight this thing, this thing called, you're trying to fix this brokenness within you. You're trying to be a good person. That's why you're here this morning. You're like, if I can go to church, then God will love me, and, uh, and I won't have any problems, and God will take care of me. If I ju- you're checking a box, right? That is not what it means to be a follower of the one true God. You have not put, you're putting your faith in your effort to be here, not in God's salvation of your soul. It's completely different things. So, have you given Christ your heart? And then secondly, when was the last time you shared the gospel or your story with somebody? When was the last time you led someone to the Lord? And if it's been a while, let that be a point of prayer for you. Because the reason you are here is for that purpose. It's the redemption of other people. So when we look back on our history and go, man, I did this and that and that was awful. God's not worried about that. Those things are forgotten. They are gone. Now we're moving forward. And we're moving forward towards seeing this restoration story continue by the story that you have to tell. And so you either have a story to tell or you don't. If you don't have a story, then your story begins this morning today when you give your heart to Christ. If you already have that story, then let's pray about who am I going to share my story with. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Joseph. I thank you for the story of the brothers. I thank you for your word that it is so good. And Lord, it just reveals, it cuts to the heart of who we are as a people and as as individuals. And Lord, I believe there may be someone in this room, when they look at their life, for them it's always been about this striving of trying to be good and trying to please you while knowing on the inside they've never given their heart and life to you they are not trusting in you and their heart is hardened it's hard and it's crusty but your Holy Spirit is drawing them to you and you say look quit fighting let me fight for you If that's you friend you could say a prayer something like this dear Jesus I admit to you right now that I am a sinner I believe that you came, that you died for me on that cross. You did the fighting I could not do. I put my faith in you. And I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. I want to follow you the rest of my life. I turn from my sin. I repent of my sin and I turn to you. Lord, there's also people in this room that say, Drew, I've already made that decision. I became a Christian a long time ago. But you're like Jacob, you're up and you're down and you're up and you're down. Lord, we, I pray for, for those people who are up and down. Lord, help us to be steady like Joseph. Lord, help us to step out in faith, to follow you every single day. Help us to be consistent in our walk with you. And Lord, also, I just pray that as a church, you will just bless this time uh, and, the, and, the, and the time that we have during our invitation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So whatever the Lord might be working on your heart, we're going to have a time of invitation, which is just where we're going to come. I'm going to come and stand. Uh, Greg's going to lead us in a song. And then we're going to give you an opportunity to do something with what God's doing in your heart. So please stand. and we'll.